Good morning. Well, today um, we're going to um, finish up gospel faith in the Old Testament and blend that with the uh, beginning of a couple of Sundays of question and answer uh, because they blend well this week. And so, um, because I didn't get finished with this two weeks ago, um, it just works out perfect that we can do a Q&A and, uh, and then uh, conclude Gospel Faith in the Old Testament, which I'm, I'm, we're not going to get to do but a couple of weeks of Q&A. Uh, we've got um, Q&A this week, next week. Uh, I'm going to be in San Francisco uh, on the 18th with Golden and some of our, our folks here who are going to work uh, out there with our people group. Um, and then uh, we'll be back on Monday, and then we'll jump into Advent like that next week. And uh, years getting away from us, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, so yeah, if you have questions, things you'd like to, to get addressed, please email them to me, send them to me. We'll hit them this next year, and uh, and that's totally and completely okay. Um, so today we're going to deal with the conclusion of Hebrews. Gospel faith in the Old Testament by getting our hands on the concluding passage of Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, along with the question of how's the church doing and what are some of the changes that have come about as a result of, of Brad and Michael and their families going to plant and, uh, and the growth that's happening inside the church. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're getting bigger and, um, and that comes with a different set of challenges. And so this question blends with the opportunity to finish up the Hebrews passage as we set our minds on what it is to lay aside hindrances, avoid sin, and run toward Jesus. So we want to answer and be encouraged to run the race toward Jesus and His kingdom. With the changes that have been taking place, um, with Brad and Michael and their families going to plant in the great Northwest, we began to transition responsibilities um, in February of this year. Uh, in order to free up opportunity to prepare, to plant, and do everything that has to be done, because these guys have a task in front of them, and uh, and it is and it is work. And so, in that, my role has shifted somewhat. And we're going to get to the text in a few minutes, but it's important for you to hear these things because we have some significant challenges in the days ahead of us. Good stuff, good stuff that comes with the advancing kingdom. But nonetheless, we have to figure out how to do them. With that came a shift in my role. We agreed that it was time to consider one of us cutting our work hours back in order to work more for Three Rivers. And your elders work. We have jobs. Yes, we do. Just like you, we, we are employed people. And so for nearly 10 years, we've been working and, uh, and doing the work of Three Rivers. My job looked like the one that was most possible to attempt this. And so... Um, and so that was something we began to take a look at. First, I want to say this. I don't anticipate us needing full-time elders, particularly not me. I really love my job. I love teaching. I was made to teach, and not teaching is disobedience. And so, um, therefore, I don't want to give up any more of my job. I really like my job. I know not everybody likes theirs. I like mine. And I'm thankful for my job. Um, so what that looked like is me swallowing hard and walking in um, and proposing to UCS to allow me to keep my director position, removing three-quarters of my pay in order to hire faculty to replace most of my classroom work, 
while allowing me to keep an office and then having the flexibility to do Three Rivers work. Try that one tomorrow morning. Uh, it's a little bit of a tricky proposition, but by God's grace, Unity agreed. And that opened the door for me to take on a three-quarter time role with Three Rivers as a three-quarter time employee. And by God's grace, um, we've made it almost ten full years before we reached this milestone in the life of our church. And it came with a lot of hard work. And, um, and I want to say this publicly. Brad doesn't need to hear. He says he doesn't need to hear these things. But uh, you've been faithful. And you've sweat and bled and worked hard. And so that milestone has taken us 10 years to get there, not because we couldn't get there, but because we value working. And, uh, and Brad, you've been faithful, brother. Um, amen. And so it's been a joy for me to um, take on doing so much of what Brad was doing. And, um, and it's an honor to walk in your footsteps, brother. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. And uh, I do miss the classroom. Teaching once every day and once on Sunday is not enough for me. And so I look for opportunities to preach. Or otherwise I might explode. Um, so if you've got questions and answers and want to meet with me, let's talk. I'll preach to you. So um, I, I was made to teach. Um, and that's what I'm made for. And so, and so that's something I'm getting to do now. And it's been a cool ride to see us get to this point. I work for you. And so that's cool. We also at the same time began to recognize we needed some, some internal wisdom and accountability. Um, for so long it's been three of us. And that three always had that, that element of accountability to it. And so with that changing... We needed some wisdom, and so we appointed or asked, I shouldn't say we appointed, we asked Jonathan Purser, Jeff Mauer, and Patrick Bowers to serve in that role. They're not elders, but they're our advisors, and they take, uh, and they give us their counsel, and they make decisions, and we run financial issues by them, and they make determinations along with our accountant, who's a third party. And so those guys um, are very wise and give us a lot of good wisdom. They take a look at budget and accountability and wisdom and they have been blessings to us. Radical kids. Um, today, by the way, we've got some, some little ones in here, right? Don't forget moms. It's okay. Kids squirm. All right? It is okay. But radical kids is something that happens inside Three Rivers Community Church that's huge. I don't know if you've noticed or walked back there recently or hear them herding up and down the hallways, right? We've got 70 volunteers, over 70 volunteers, and over 70 children. And more on the way. We will either breed a church or grow it one way or the other. But one way or the other, this bad boy is happening. Um, this is a daunting task. This is difficult. And it began to require so much time that it was prohibitive. Life circumstances dictated that some changes need to take place or we'd need a new radical kids director. And uh, Tanya was made for this. She's an educated teacher. She's a seminary educated teacher. Uh, it's, not, it's hard to find a theologian who has an education degree and understands children and classroom management and all the stuff that goes together. And she was made for this. So we spoke with Jonathan, Jeff, and Patrick, and we proposed paying Tanya a stipend, a very small stipend, so that she could afford to spend 
more time working in radical kids than doing a part-time job. These men kicked around this idea and they added some to our proposition and approved that so Tanya could continue her great work so that you feel confident in dropping your kids in radical kids knowing it's not babysitting but theological training that allows for the growth of our little ones' souls in the gospel. And so that's been a cool shift that's taken place. Church planting, um, Brad and Michael and their families have answered the call of the Lord for the gospel in the great Northwest. And it's an honor to be sending out such high-quality people. We want to bless that. And by God's grace, we will pay for them to move and support them in that work as the church is started financially. So that's cool. Managing growth here. Um, Finances, currently, you guys have given $50,000 more than we've spent. That's awesome. Talking to pastors around our county, it's usually in the opposite direction. And I think that's pretty cool. Father has always graced this body with an abundance. And we're trying to be abundant and doing good work. And so, that's pretty awesome. It's not an invitation to stop. (laughs) So keep up the good work. Ministry, radical kids, again, continuing to expand. Young moms continuing to get their hands dirty and doing hard work and hard ministry. Buddy break, continuing to minister to special needs children and their families. Connect groups, continuing to grow. We had new ones launched this week. We've got connect groups launching in other counties, connect groups launching in other places. Those things are growing. Opportunities arise to serve, such as Murphy Harps. And I'll some announcements at the end for you guys to have an opportunity to get involved and serve the end of this ministry. It's a wonderful opportunity to get involved. Ministry is going to grow in this body. In a couple of years, you are going to see the growth of an adoption agency. God has put it in the heart of an attorney to do this. And by God's grace and proper funding, we'll be able to set the pace of adopting in Roman Floyd County. Stinking awesome, by the way. Deacons, oh my gosh. In order to care for the growing needs of Three Rivers people, we need to grow our number of deacons. To organize the Lord's people to care for one another. We need more deacons. Nathan Hicks in sort of a proactive role is beginning to serve as the go-to deacon. For me to be able to coordinate with him over the expanse of our various deacons as that grows. So that we can manage the growth of that deacon body and individuals. And so that's a cool thing that's beginning to happen. Deacons are no longer going to organize their deacon group to set up and tear down. But Scott Squared, Abson and Wood are going to be organizing you to set up, and you're going to be hearing from them soon about your weeks and when it's your turn to set up and tear down, and that's, that's awesome, so that deacons can deke, and you can work. The global work. We've had an opportunity to minister to our team after the difficulty in country when Brad and Michelle were able to go and do some counseling with them. We're continuing to support Carl as he finishes language training and gets ready to head back to our country and our UPG. And we're going to continue to support and get that back up to the level necessary for him to be in country. We funded Levi and Betsy's move to the Capitol. Increased their support monthly. And we're looking forward to the short-term teams getting back in country as God would allow. And you've been skilled for that. There are guys sitting in this room that you're going to get to go. 
Many of you are senders. Some of you are goers. But that work is still there. And the Lord is still advancing the kingdom. San Francisco, we're still developing and cultivating the opportunity to go and work among our people group there in the Bay Area. And we'll be out there this month doing work. Church planting. How do we allow for Three Rivers to grow? There are so many managed Managing methods for church growth. And when you begin to think through them, they either create more need for paid employees or bigger buildings that rob the budget of its teeth in doing the work of the Great Commission. Or they create encumbrances that begin to cause people to lose sight of the mission. And if I could drag in front of you a couple of pastors this morning, they would say yes, yes, and a hundred times yes. I think... The reason is, is because the church was not made to be an organization ran by a CEO. But it was made to be an organic body of spirit-filled believers that is taught by pastors and prophets and led by elders to advance the kingdom of God. And it's intended to function in that way. And I want you to know there are no CEOs here. And the church is not an organization The church is the bride of Jesus Christ that he died to redeem. And our greatest challenge is not building a building or adding a service or finding slick employees. Our challenge is building real fellowship in, over, and through the word and spirit and planting churches. What if we grow in fellowship together? Legitimate. First John Koinonia fellowship. What if we really become an interdependent fellowship that feeds off of one another's love for each other? That is our greatest challenge in the next ten years. That is our greatest challenge. Not a building. That's our challenge. What if that happens? And what if we plant churches to manage growth rather than knocking down walls figuratively because we can't knock down walls here? What if... Ten churches of a hundred networked together by being planted from the same father church are more effective than one church of a thousand. You ever ask yourself that question? What if ten churches of a hundred networked together were more effective than one of a thousand? I believe Father is giving us the resources people-wise and financially to do this. But we have to equip and train and be intentional. And we have to plant that first church here. Which, by the way, missiologically, this is why the Scriptures never tell us how to do church. It's not there. It's because the Gospel is intended to go into any and every culture and look like what it needs to look like in that culture to propagate the Gospel among those people. And what if, what if, we start to look like that here? That first church is going to have to be planted here to figure that out. All this is a good sampling of the challenges, the good challenges that lay in front of us in the work here and over there. And we want to run this race by being race ready and keeping three rivers in race shape. You cannot run a marathon without preparing for it. You cannot run to Jesus and His mission without being intentional about it. There are intentionalities. There are things that have to be done in order to run the Great Commission race. So let's turn our attention to Hebrews 12, 1-4. And let's see the mandate 
to stay in race shape that finishes off Hebrews 11. Now, if you remember, we've been studying through gospel faith in the Old Testament. We've been seeing how faith without works is dead and that faith, biblical faith, leads to biblical action. And the writer of Hebrews has given us a a multitude of examples. And in context, he gave this multitude of examples to this Hebrew-speaking congregation who's being persecuted for their faith and challenged by the outside in its advance to not turn back from following Jesus, but to keep following Jesus. And he gave them a multitude of examples that they should look to and gain inspiration from in their growth in the faith and in their continuing advance of the gospel and in the face of difficulty. And so we've looked at all those and we've sought to make application from them to us here in Rome, Georgia now. So let's take a look at the capstone of this passage, which is Hebrews 12, 1 to 4. Therefore, in other words, in light of faith being worked out in action and all these examples, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, remember... These witnesses are the ones who he's spoken about in chapter 11, who've witnessed to, who have lived lives that showed gospel faith. Not people looking down upon you, cheering you on, but people who lived in their time by faith. Since we are surrounded by folks who've done what I'm asking you to do, the writer of Hebrews says. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. Awesome statement. So, how do we stay in race shape? How was the writer of Hebrews encouraging these people to stay in race shape? First thing he tells them is this. We must prepare to run the race by being race ready. We have to prepare to run the race by being race ready. The phrase that he uses is, Lay aside. He says, let us also lay aside every weight. The phrase lay aside here means rend. That is in the sense of get rid of. Weight is the idea of encumbrance. Using the analogy of a race, he tells us to run this race. And he says to run it by laying aside things that encumber. And to put away everything that hinders running. Now this is important because he's obviously not referring to sin. Because he starts the next statement by telling them to avoid sin. So things that encumber aren't necessarily sinful. The idea by way of analogy of running a race is preparation to do the work of the gospel. And I gave you this two weeks ago. I, I sort of sh- slipped into this illustration because was, it was irresistible for me at the moment. Um, when runners run, cross-country runners run, when marathon runners run, when runners run, 
which, by the way, amazes me. Running should have a purpose. I to finish your block. To make a tackle, not to run. You people are crazy. But when runners run to run, they usually don't run in sweatshirts and hunting boots and jeans. It wouldn't be wrong. It's not a sin to do that, right? But you're not going to compete really well. And so therefore they dress appropriately. They put on the right things. And there's gear for that, right? There's shoes that are really light but really supportive on the arches. And, and there are dinky running shorts that some people wear. And there's, and there's things that people do to prepare to run. And it helps them run better. When we come to the issue of this analogy of running the race, of completing the Great Commission, doing the work of Jesus, the idea is to shed encumbrances, to get rid of things that keep from running, and to even put on the right things that help to run. Our race is the completion of the Great Commission. We've got to run to Jesus and His mission. Jesus is glorified in the nations and representatives from the nations Glorifying Him in worship, and that's done through the preaching of the gospel to the nations. The Lord has saved a church for this. The Lord has saved and redeemed a people to do this work among all nations. And therefore, we say at Three Rivers that our mission is the glory of God in building the church local and global by being and producing radical followers of Jesus. Our goal is that God be glorified among all nations. And that happens locally, but it also has to happen globally. So we have in sight the great commission of God being glorified. Father, Son, and Spirit being made much of, shown to be weighty among all nations. And we have to be here local, but we also have to be global at the same time. Not one before the other, but both simultaneously. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to be people who are radically connected to Jesus. John 15, plugged into the vine. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit and and so prove to be my disciples. And so in order to achieve this big mission of the Great Commission, we have to be intimately connected to Jesus, walking with Christ, keeping our eyes on His mission and intentionally moving toward that mission, shedding what keeps us from going, adding what helps us to go, and moving Toward the mission. Otherwise, we fail. We have to jettison hindrances. That is, processes that don't work. This beautiful thing about the church is we have the glorious freedom to try and fail. And at no time fear that the kingdom will abort. This is why we say to you, we have to embrace risk. We have to be willing to try and fail. Because at the end of the day, I am secure in Christ. My salvation is set. The kingdom will advance. And He's given us the glorious mission of joining Him in that by observing and attempting and trying to run toward the kingdom in our context. This is a glorious gift we've been given. 
This is why we read these missionary biographies and do the biographies of people for All Saints Day. <clears throat> because we get to see lives of saints who lived hard and died early, who lived hard and made it all the way to the end of their natural life. And they failed, and they succeeded, and they failed, and they succeeded, but they kept their eyes on the mission. They made their lives revolve around the mission. They shed hindrances, added the right things, and moved toward the mission as examples of people to follow for us. If we can do that, we don't have to fear failure. So we jettison processes that don't work, and we discover they don't work because we try them. Not too many churches have heretofore succeeded in reaching Roman Floyd County. 85,000 plus today, not in any church at all in Roman Floyd County. That's not a high success rate. We've got to try something. We've got to do ministry. We've got to try to reach the unreached. We're going to have successes. We're going to have failures. We learn. So we jettison hindrances. Processes that don't work. Ideas that don't work. Sin, which we'll get to in a minute. Failure to give in finances and in time. And then we have to add the right helps. Processes that do work. Ideas that may work and do work. We've got to be holy. We've got to be givers of time and money. And by the way, I want to say this. I think it's important to say this. That your elders have led the way in that. We're givers. Hard givers. We give financially hard and quick to this body. We've been doing that for nearly ten years. And we give time hard and fast to this body. And it requires all of us doing that. All of us doing that. We shed. We add and we move forward in the mission. Because there are lost people in Roman Floyd County who need to be reached with the gospel. Statistically, it is proven that church planting is the most effective and efficient way of doing that. And we're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to figure that out. You can't just go buy a building today effectively and efficiently and cheaply. It just can't happen. And even if one goes out of business and gives us their building, then you've got to pay for the utilities. This is often... More than if you bought it. Because they're leaky and old. you got to fix stuff all the time. So how are you going to do that? Well, that's something that's got to be figured out. Because there's no chapter and verse in Second Opinions, chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, that says, if thou doest these three things, thou shalt have success in planting churches. It's not there. There's a mandate to go and preach the gospel. And in that context, figure out what works. It's going to require risk and effort, trial, error. Portland is not going to be easy. There's a figuring out process, a learning curve. Different people. They're not Southerners. They may be more normal than us. Who knows who's most abnormal? I don't know. I'm fairly abnormal. They seem abnormal to me. Who knows? But it's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's a long-term proposition. Doing the work of the kingdom... Is a long-term proposition, not a short-time sprint. Second thing the writer of Hebrews is encouraging this audience to do is in the second part of verse 1, which says, 
and sin which clings so closely. The verbal phrase, lay aside, applies to this modifier here of sin which clings so closely. In other words, the adjectival phrase of sin clinging closely is modified and the action is given, sorry, going grammatical on you, by the verbal action of lay aside, meaning lay aside sin that clings closely. Doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out, right? Lay aside sin which clings so closely. Hence, speaking of the sin here which readily encircles or entangles the Christian runner. The example given by Dr. Marvin Vincent here in a grammatical commentary on the various words used in this passage says, Like a long, loose robe clinging to his limbs. Meaning they need to shed sin that acts like a long, loose robe wrapping itself around the legs of a runner and prevents them from running well. Again, using the running analogy, getting rid of things that do not assist you in running. Taking off the combat boots. Putting on some sweet Nikes. Getting rid of the camo cargo pants and getting on some runner shorty shorts. Putting on and getting rid of all the right things. Probably here in view, due to the nature of Hebrews chapter 11 and the context of Hebrews in general, the writer has in mind shedding the sin of unbelief in particular. Because this was the challenge of this church. They've been persecuted. And some have denied the gospel and went back to safety. And he's writing them to encourage them to not do that, but keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Continue to follow Christ. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the angels. Christ is superior. He is the priest that we are to submit to and follow and who has us covered. Therefore, do not turn around and stop following Jesus. And in some regard, all rebellion has unbelief running around in it somewhere. I think this is important to get. He's addressing in particular the sin of unbelief in this community. But when you come to the issue of sin that clings so closely and can entangle the legs and keep them from running, all rebellion, that is all sin, has in it unbelief. Listen to what I mean. If I sin, it's because I don't believe that the fruit of righteousness tastes better than the fruit of rebellion. And if any of you in this room are really, truly wrestling with your own personal sin, you know what I mean. We get in those moments and we make stupid decisions because we really believe that rebellion is going to be better for me than righteousness. That's the ultimate issue. Sin tastes better than righteousness. Right? Whatever that happens to be, and we can have a list... A thousand long. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what we have to shed is unbelief. The idea that somehow sin tastes better than righteousness. The idea that somehow if we just focus on our little kingdom here, somehow it's all going to be okay as opposed to, no, no, no. We have to focus here and there. 
The expanse of the gospel and the kingdom of God is not optional. It is both and at the same time, come what may. And somehow in that is unbelief. If I just focus here that somehow it's going to get done. Yeah, God's going to get it done, but He's called us to be His hands and feet in doing it. And it's unbelief that God can actually reach here and there at the same time. Maybe not believing the gospel is enough to save, so I need to add works to the mix to make me feel better about my atonement. Maybe it's habitual sin. Right? Those things, he's like, oh my gosh. Like, that is a habit. That is so a habit. I wasn't even tempted. I wasn't even tempted. And, oh my gosh. It's just a habit. It's just been ingrained in, in, in the fallen flesh of humanity. You know what I'm talking about? So he's just habit. Shedding. Outright rebellion against clear instructions. There are some things in the scripture that's clear. Right? There's some things we don't have to pray about. I know that sounds non-spiritual, right? But there's some things you don't have to ask the Lord about. That's, that's when we begin to make prayer a cop-out. Should I be involved in the Great Commission? Duh! It's in the manual. Go! Should we be adopters? Don't pray. Do something. Whether you are the adopter or you're the supporter of one who is adopting. Either by giving, providing clothes, food, something. You don't need to pray. It's in the manual. Right? There are clear instructions how to treat each other. Right? I don't have to pray on whether or not I need to honor you. Lord, should I honor Josh Hines today? Duh! Yeah! It's in the manual. Right? Outright rebellion against clear instruction is unbelief that somehow the Lord tastes not as good as rebellion. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hands pleasures forevermore. That is what will take the redeemed heart and bring about repentance. That the pleasures of righteousness are better all day long than the pleasures of sin. Maybe sin hidden from community. I say this. I've said this multiple times, and we're going to deal with it again, starting in First John. But you may be able to hide your sin from individual eyes. But the effect of sin is a communal issue. And it's felt, the ripple effects, the reverberation is felt by everybody in the body. Sin is never isolated to the individual. This is why the scriptures use the analogy of sin and leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin affects everybody in the body. You've got an attitude that's out of place, it affects everybody. Sin may be hidden from the physical lives of individuals, but sin hidden in community is devastating to the life of a church. We have to shed that. Have to shed that. We have to add righteousness. Shed sin. 
Is there sin hidden? It's a question I have to ask myself. I have to be accountable. Separation from community because of sin. Whatever that rebellion happens to be. It's sin and rebellion to be separated from community because the lie is that I'm better off alone than I am with other people. That's rebellion. It's unbelief. I have to shed those things. And one of our greatest challenges, I've said it already, I'm going to say it again, is doing life together. Real Bible fellowship, koinonia. And a meal together is only the beginning. It is not enough. And one of the challenges of our fallen culture is to bow down to the God of busyness and time. And sacrifice koinonia, life together, under the word. And, and I'm telling you, I'm chief sinner. We have to confess to Father, agree with Him, that busyness, that all the excuses I give for why there's no koinonia are not sufficient. We have to confess to each other, and we've got to begin to engage. And I'm telling you, it's our greatest challenge in the next ten years. It's our greatest challenge. Because we're not fighting. This is a spiritual, immaterial battle that we feel in the soul, but in the body it's not so evident because there's so many other things vying for our attention. But koinonia, life together, under the Word, is our greatest fight in the next ten years. Third and finally, how do we stay race ready? We've got to run with endurance to Jesus' mission. Got to run with endurance to Jesus' mission. Got to run with endurance. Again, the writer of Hebrews has used believing and working belief out into action in the analogy of a race. And the writer of Hebrews instructs the readers to run it with endurance. The point is that races are to be finished, not simply begun and quit. Races are to be ran and finished. This requires endurance. And endurance is gained by practice. Now we can't carry the race analogy too far because it breaks down as all analogies do. But the point is that we're to follow Jesus with endurance, not turning back in unbelief because it's easier. Rather, we're to hold on to faith and a good conscience with white-knuckled intensity. We don't leave Jesus because it's hard. Hanging on to Jesus will create for us consternation and difficulty in the days to come. Because we live in a spiritually charged environment that wants God but no Jesus. It says Dr. Tony Evans said one time when asked to pray at the Dallas City Council meeting. We want you to come pray for us, Pastor Evans, but don't mention Jesus. Dr. Evans in his prayer said, Father... They asked me to come and pray to you on their behalf today, but they asked me to come to you outside the name of Jesus. And since I can't pray to you without coming to you through the mediator, Jesus Christ, Father, in the name of Jesus. And he prayed. 
and he prayed. And he preached as he prayed. And as Tony Evans said at the end of that, if you don't want Jesus, you don't want me. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There is no, there is no anything apart from Jesus. And if we are going to maintain Jesus as the revelation of the Trinitarian God of the Bible, then we're going to have to speak about Jesus. We're going to have to hold on to Jesus Christ. And we're not going to be wanted. We're not, want, we're not going to want to be the... They are not going to want us to be the answer. We may find ourselves in the coming days and years fighting a fight for the name and advancement of Jesus Christ. And we don't leave Jesus because it's hard. God talk without Jesus talk is empty in our current context. Paul said to his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 18-20, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some, by rejecting this, that is, waging the good warfare of the gospel by holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may be taught, or they may learn not to blaspheme. We hold on to Jesus, faith and a good conscience, trusting Jesus Christ, even if it's hard. We have to obey the manual and do what it says. I added this note this morning because I continue to reference almost weekly Bible reading in some way or another, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. I'm aware of it. But I'm becoming more convinced that your spiritual vitality and mind comes from communion with Father, Son, and Spirit through time and His Word to us. This activity feeds the soul as physical food feeds the body. When Jesus was at the well with the woman in Samaria and the disciples brought back bread, they assumed Jesus didn't want to eat. He must have gotten something to eat. And Jesus said, I have food to eat that you, you, don't, you can't even imagine. It's to do the will of my Father in heaven. I'm telling you guys, there is something spiritually invigorating about meeting with the Spirit through the Son and the Father in His Word that feeds the soul. People whose souls are healthy have actions that are healthy. And as we can't forget to eat, and Lord knows I don't, I can't forget to feed my soul. And then we seek repentance daily. Repentance is the dominant characteristic of the Christian. And it is not easy to recognize I'm a sinner and have pride issues and have sin issues and I need repentance. And we have to run to Jesus. To run to Jesus. I've noticed in athletic competition and in some of the things I do now to try to keep mildly fit, actually so I can eat, I've been continually told to keep my head up. Keep my head up. Look forward. It's key to good performance. Keep my head up. Keep my head up. Front squats, deadlifts, whatever. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. That's because if I 
can't see ahead and keep things straight, I'm not actually doing what's best and what's right. Again, the analogy can break down, I know. But the point is this, that performance in tasks requires looking in the right direction. And it's no different when it comes to doing the mission of Jesus Christ. We can't complete the Great Commission by looking to any other source than Jesus himself. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Again, know Jesus' word and obey it. Do what you were called to and compelled to do to advance the kingdom. Listen, I've said this before and again, I want to say it. Each of you are wired with a set of skills that Holy Spirit has willfully given to you to advance His kingdom. And the greatest discovery you can make is what those skills are and to begin to employ them. And oh, what a glorious problem it would be that we are so diverse that we can't do everything and we have to, by necessity, begin to plant churches that address a couple of things. Wouldn't that be Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be awesome? Do what you're called to do. You can't do any more than you're called to do, but do what you are called to do. Do what you were made to do and advance the kingdom in what you're made to do. Know Jesus' word, obey it. Do what you were called to do. Don't forget ministry is a long-haul proposition. we got 20, 30 more years, maybe more, if God wills. Don't forget this is a long-haul proposition. Barring a move of the Spirit, this kind of work will take time. Barring a third great awakening, we are going to have to grind out ministry. I pray there's an awakening. Wouldn't that be awesome if the Lord would do what He did again in the United States, pour the Spirit out and just boom. But barring a move of the Spirit, work is going to take time. We're going to have to grind it out. Remember, people will not be mobilized to the task instantly. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are overrunning, right? No. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The greatest recruiting tool in Three Rivers Community Church will be us asking the Father to send laborers. It's going to take time. People are not mobilized to the task instantly. Continue to ask the Lord to send workers and keep working. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and do as He does. I'm going to close with this passage. John 5, 19. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and do as He does. Notice I'm using present tense there. I didn't say do what Jesus did. The grammar matters. Do what Jesus is doing. The old little, little cool band that used to be cool, what would Jesus do? It's not accurate. It should say, what is Jesus doing? Jesus isn't dead. He's not in a grave. He's the risen second person of the Trinity who ascended to the Father, sent the Spirit to indwell His people that they might obey His command. 1 John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. Wow. Jesus can do nothing of His own accord. But only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. 
If the Son of God looked to the Father in order to know what to do, we must follow that example and look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We must look to Him, and we must do what He is doing in the world now. If you stay in the manual and you commune with the Lord, and we stay in fellowship, we will see clearly, we will act rightly, and the church is a mighty moving train that cannot be stopped. That's how we stay race ready. That's how we stay race ready. You race ready? Race ready? Got a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of ministry, a lot of lives, a lot of gospel that needs to be preached. And we've just gotten started. Just gotten started. Let's pray. Father, um, pray today, Holy Spirit, to be our counselor and guide to truth and reminder of everything that's been spoken. Holy Spirit, would you blow away fog and cloud of unbelief and, and things that maybe fog and cloud our thinking and our, our ability to connect our emotions to truth. Blow that away, please. Be our counselor. Counsel us into truth. Be our teacher. Walk along beside us. And remind us of what has been written. What's been said. Pray now that you would cause us to give thanks for what you have done and, and with eyes of faith to look forward to what you're going to do with the gospel. Even in some instances in spite of us. Pray you reconcile. Pray that you will heal, that you will repair, that you will fix, that you will mobilize, that you will send, you will equip. And as we respond with our lives, I pray that you would cause our voices to respond to and make much of you. So that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are glorified and we find our greatest joy and our pleasures at your right hand forevermore.